God, we thank you for this incredible country. Not a perfect country, but an incredible country. And we thank you for the blessing and opportunity that we have to live in this country. Help us to be, yes, first and foremost, citizens of your kingdom, your heavenly kingdom. But help us to also be great citizens of this nation. The best citizens of this nation. God, come and heal our land. Our land is in desperate need of your healing. Continue to make all things new in Canada. In the land, in the people groups, in our economy, in our education, in every capacity, come and make all things new according to your purposes and for your glory. And help us to live shining brightly the light of Jesus in our lives and let revival come to Canada once again. Let there be a great awakening of your Holy Spirit in our nation. Let there be a great outpouring of your presence that many would come to know you as Lord. As Canada has been such an an opening and welcoming country for so many nations of the world, and what a blessing and opportunity we have because of that to bring your good news of hope and love and forgiveness to so many different people groups. Help us as a church to model this well. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated here this morning. Thank you, worship team. Appreciate it. Awesome. Well, it is uh, great to have you here this morning. It's just such a good presence in the house of God today and so many things happening in this service. We know there's a lot going on, but it's it's just good to be with the people of God, worshiping in his presence and uh, just gathering together and just seeing the Lord do incredible things. If you're new here, my name's uh, Tim. I'm one of the pastors here at GT, and we are honored and privileged to have you worshiping with us here today. We are in a series on the book of Colossians, kind of titled The Idea of the True Desire of Your Heart. We started this actually last Sunday, where we're just going through chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We're not hitting every verse, but we're hitting the major portions of this text to give us a greater understanding really of what's called the supremacy of Christ. And all that really means is that Jesus is absolutely incredible. He's better than anything else in this world. And the major themes that we see all throughout this book are the themes of this idea of how Jesus is better, how Jesus is wiser, how Jesus is truer, and how Jesus is more Fulfilling, more fulfilling than anything else that the world has to offer us. This morning, I want to read from Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 through 23, and then from there, kind of transition into Colossians chapter 2, and really just give us some core things for us to hold on to, to leave this place uh, moving and going in the hope of Jesus in our lives. Um, We've stood a lot today, so we'll, we'll, we'll sit for the reading of God's word here today. And there's nothing sacrilegious with that, but uh, we've had a lot of up and down already. Usually we love to stand for the reading of God's word, but today we'll sit for, for this portion here today. Paul says this in verse 21 and 23. He says, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless, above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel 
that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now that first line there in this portion of scripture, I believe is so important for us to understand. He said, and you, speaking of not just the church at Colossae, but the entirety of the church, all those who put their faith, hope, and trust in Jesus as Lord, he says, you were once, everyone say once, you were once alienated and hostile in mind. Now this word alienation, it speaks of the state or experience of being isolated from a group or activity to which one should belong or be involved in. I think the last 20 months, every one of us here this morning, every one of us joining online can identify with this idea of alienation. It's this idea of being isolated or set apart from a group that we once belonged or we should belong to. Now, when it comes to the broader theory of what's called social alienation, many sociologists have often talked about how this manifests in individuals' lives. In fact, sociologist Melvin Seaman, in his book on the meaning of alienation, speaks of four features that he attributes to this idea of social alienation. And those four features are that of powerlessness, meaninglessness, social isolation, and then also self estrangement. When it comes to powerlessness, it's when individuals are socially alienated that they believe that what happens in their lives is essentially outside of their control. And let's all be honest here this morning, every one of us are control freaks. Right? We all love to be masters of our own world and our own domain. And the last 20 months have taught us that there are things that are essentially outside of our control. And we don't like it. We don't enjoy it. It bothers us, right? And so that's that connection to powerlessness. Meaninglessness speaks of when an individual does not derive meaning from the things in which he or she is engaged with or at least not the same common or normative meaning that others derive from it. Social isolation is when a person feels that they are not meaningfully connected to their community through shared values, beliefs, and practices, and or when they do not have meaningful social relationships with other people. Another thing that the last 20 months has taught us is just how important it is to have relationships, to have community that we were not created for the purpose of isolation. We are not created for us just to be in the enclosed little areas where we are not interacting and engaging with people in a healthy and normative way. And then this fourth one here, self-estrangement, is when a person experiences social alienation, they may deny their own personal interests and desires in order to satisfy demands placed by others and or by social Norms. This self-estrangement is the idea of when we try to meet the demands that others are putting on us because of what has now become normal. And as we look over those four things of social alienation, I think the truth is, is that every single one of us in this place here this morning can identify with those things on a regular basis. Now, for thinkers like Karl Marx, he believed that it was capitalism and the socioeconomic imbalances that were essentially the main cause of this alienation. 
And for Marx and thinkers like that, they believed that they would resolve it by eliminating the gap between the rich and the poor. For many capitalists, on the other end, the idea is that social alienation happens because there's a lack of individual liberty or proper democracy, and these are actually the reasons for why people experience alienation and how it's manifested in their lives. For many sociologists, they believe that demographic changes involved in moving to different areas or countries or sometimes language barriers or race and gender barriers are the main cause of alienation that people feel. And though all of these may be true in some way, shape, or form, and all these may be contributing factors, I believe that these are simply more symptoms or expressions of the root cause of why humanity feels so much alienation in our broken world. In fact, I would propose to you this morning that at the very root, at the core of what is wrong with humanity in regards to alienation is that they are essentially alienated from God. Not just one with another or not fitting into people groups, but at the core of what's wrong with this broken world is that we have a humanity that is alienated from their creator. And this alienation means that we are separated from our very source of life, purpose, and being. You see, I believe above every other reason that people, that, that, that people give for the problem of alienation is that sin is actually the root culprit for alienation. It's the foundational issue for which alienation even exists. But we must make note of this. We must see that God does not alienate us from him because of our sin. And that is so important because for years, many of us growing up in the church think that because God is perfectly holy, and he is, because God is perfectly just, and he is, that when we sin, God just rids himself of us and he separates himself from God. And we've got to get our life right. We've got to get our eggs in order and get everything in order for us to be connected to God. But I would propose to you that that is contrary to the gospel through the entirety of scripture from Genesis to Revelation. Because what we see in Genesis chapter 3 is that when Adam and Eve sinned, it's them separating themselves from God, not God separating themselves from him. In fact, he comes looking for them. He comes and says, where are you? He comes and says, what have you done? And it is God who is in a, uh, a relentless pursuit of his people who, are, who have alienated themselves from him because of sin. It's Jesus who goes looking for his disciples after the death and resurrection when his disciples have gone back to the very thing that he's called them out of. Remember that story? Where Jesus says, come and I will make you fishers of men. And when the kingdom of God did not come in the way, shape, and form that they hoped, that they anticipated, and they gave up all hope, they went back to what? Fishing. And it's Jesus who goes and pursues them. It's Jesus who comes 
after them. So at the root cause of this alienation in the brokenness of our world is, in fact, sin. But we must understand, sin is us choosing our way above God's way. Sin is us alienating ourselves from his perfect plan for us as individuals. But God is relentless of our hearts. And that is the good news of the gospel, is that no matter what we are dealing with, no matter what we are going through, God is always coming after us. Amen? And so Paul, he goes on here and he talks about this idea, you were alienated, but now you've been reconciled. And that word reconciliation, it speaks of the state of being brought back or restored to something. It speaks of things being made right. In fact, this is why Paul would often in his epistles use the language of being adopted, that we have now been adopted into the family of God. And because of this, we now have a new identity. We now have an inheritance, and we are no longer strangers. We are no longer alienated. Because of this reconciliation that God has brought about through his son Jesus, we are no longer estranged, but we now belong. We now have a home. And so in this short passage, what Paul does is he lays out this beautiful theological realm to our salvation. He says, you were once alienated, but you have been restored back. You have been reconciled back. You have been brought back into your purpose. He says uh, that salvation involves who we once were, but it also involves who we are now. And that is so important that we don't just see what we were rescued from, as I say all the time, but we also see what we are being rescued to, who we once were, but now who we are now becoming. And so in the realm of theology, there are three major words that speak to the beauty of our salvation. Those words are simply this, justification, sanctification, and glorification. Now, I know sometimes I use a lot of theological words, but you guys are all smart. And guess what? We all have Google. And so we can always look up words. And it's time that the church understands some of the doctrines that we actually profess and believe. And so all these words mean are simply this, that justification is that we are saved. When we put our faith, hope, and trust in Jesus as Lord, in that moment, we stand justified before a holy God. Not based off of our works, but based off of what Jesus has done. Sanctification, all it speaks of is the work of the Holy Spirit and that we are being saved. We are saved, but we're also being saved. We're being transformed into the image of Jesus day by day. But then this final word is a beautiful word connected to the blessed hope, connected to when Jesus comes for his bride and we are caught up with him. In a moment, we will be glorified. We will be saved. And everything that is broken and wrong in us in a moment will be completely, fully, wholly transformed. Think about that truth this morning, beloved. That we are saved, we're justified, and his spirit is at work in us and renewing us and transforming us. But we anticipate a day where in a moment we will be glorified and we will be completely made New. Now, how many people have a lot of stuff that is wrong with them in their lives? <laughs> Confession is good for the soul. I see that hand. 
I see those hands, right? Your pastor is raising his hand. We all have stuff in our lives that is broken. We all have stuff in our lives that we wrestle with. But the truth is, there is a day coming when those things will be completely done away with. And we will experience the power of resurrection, wholeness, health, completeness in a moment. And so this is what Paul is laying out here. He says, you were alienated, but understand you've been reconciled. And as we transition into Colossians chapter two, what Paul does, he says, if this is true about who you are and your identity, this is what it means to live it out. This is what it means to walk and live in the truth of this new identity. And so we pick it up here in Colossians chapter two, verses six through 15. Paul says, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule, and authority. Verse 11. In him also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised, when which you were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, but God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set it aside, nailing it to the cross. And verse 15, we'll close with this before communion today. Such a powerful verse, Paul says, and he, being Jesus, disarmed the rulers and authorities and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And so what Paul does here at the end of Colossians 1 and transitioning into Colossians chapter 2 is he lays out these two theological components called orthodoxy and orthopraxy. And all that word means, orthodoxy, is right doctrine and how it's connected to orthopraxy, which is right practice. And what Paul is doing here is he's saying, if you believe rightly about Jesus and what he has done, and how that speaks to your identity, then it should cause you to practice or live or function in a certain way. So right doctrine leads to right practice, and then right practice leads back to right understanding and doctrine. And this is so important because in Western culture, we have a lot of people that love to profess, especially in America, we dealt with this for 20 plus years, who love to profess, I'm a Christian by title and name. But when it came to their lives, when it came to their practice, it wasn't always modeled. And what Paul says here is that is absolutely nonsense. If you believe rightly about God and who he is, and if you truly identify as a follower of Jesus, it better look like something. That identity always leads to meaning and purpose. So let's break this down in a couple sections here. Verse 6 through 8, once again, he says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him 
rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving, and see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And so once again, what Paul says, if you've truly received Christ, if you are in him, let it affect the way you act. Let it affect the way you talk. Let it affect the way you think. Let your purpose and your meaning be built up in his ways, in the way of Jesus. This word philosophy in the original language, it speaks of human wisdom. And that word deceit, it speaks of trickery or false teaching. Now, Paul, he was not anti-philosophy. He often quoted from philosophers when he was ministering the gospel to the Gentiles. However, Paul is saying that when we are in Christ, and this is so important, we must guard against the constant indoctrination from the world that says, as we talked about last week, knowing Jesus and being known by Jesus, it's good, but it's not enough. And we must guard against thinking that keeps us consumed by the temporal things of this world. And we must not only focus on all the brokenness and despair in this world that often leads to the manifestation of these symptoms of alienation. But rather, we are to let the truth of God's word be the foundation of our identity. The world is competing for your attention. The media is competing for your attention. And most of the time, it's trying to get us consumed by what? The here and the now. To get us bogged down by the constant here and now. And we need to be aware of the here and the now. We don't want to be so heavenly bound that we're no earthly good. I understand that. But I believe when we are truly consumed with that which is eternal, it actually helps us live better and more fuller in the here and the now. And so the world is competing. The world is trying to indoctrinate our minds all the time. And though many things that they offer can be true and can be good, and we need to, as Christians, understand that. Not everything that the world is saying is off or bad, but their resolution for what's going to fix the problems is often off and bad. And so we must guard against that, guard against the philosophy of human wisdom and false teaching and trickery and, and allow ourselves to get bogged down in the constant here and now. And we must be rooted in Christ. We must be grounded in his word. We must allow this to shape us above any other news station. We must allow this to shape us above any other blog that you read in the last week. We must allow this to shape us more than any social media influencer that you follow. His word is true. His word is lasting. His word speaks to the power of the gospel of who we once were, but who we now are. And we must be rooted and grounded in this truth like never before. Read on verse 9 and 10. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Now we talked about this last week. How Jesus is the fullness of who God actually is. And now Paul he picks up on that to say. He picks up on this to say that the fullness of who God actually is. Lives in you 
through his spirit. Come on, that you are filled in him. Let that speak to your identity here this morning. God said he was pleased that his fullness was being revealed through his son, Jesus. And then Paul, he picks up on it and he takes it further. And he says, and you are also filled in him. The fullness of who God is living and dwelling inside of you through the power of the Holy Spirit. See, when we understand that truth, it helps us to live so beautifully in the here and now. Let's read on, verse 11 through 14. In him you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. I know all the men get a little squirmy in these parts here, but we'll continue on. By putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you also, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead, and you, you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Now, by Paul using this language of circumcision, it speaks of an outward act performed through the flesh in the Old Testament to signify the cutting away of flesh. And the idea was that you are now marked and set apart. And so Paul, he he uses this graphic imagery to say that if we are in Christ, then his spirit has cut away the flesh and his spirit is cutting away the sinful flesh and he is marking us as his own, that our hearts, which signify love and allegiance, have been marked by him, and our hearts have been pierced for him. We have a significant mark on our lives as followers of Jesus. It's not necessarily a physical mark, but it's a spiritual mark. We look different, we sound different, we act different, because he is cutting away the sinful flesh of our lives. People should identify and know there's something different about those people who profess Jesus. They may think you're crazy. They may not agree with everything you profess or adhere to, but they should know there's something significantly different about their lives. New Testament scholar N.T. Wright says, since sin, the consequence of idolatry, is what keeps humans enthralled to the non-gods of the world. Dealing with sin has a more profound effect than simply releasing humans to go to heaven. It releases humans from the grip of the idols so they can worship the living God and be renewed according to his image. What a powerful statement. What, What Wright is saying there is that being forgiven of sin, being justified and being sanctified is not just so that we have a get out of hell card one day. But what Wright is saying is that if you're forgiven of sin, it's so that you can begin to discover what it means to walk in the fullness of who you were actually created to be also in the here and now. And yes, we do have that blessed hope and we thank God for it. But if we are forgiven of sin, it liberates us. It sets us free to live it also in the here and now as a people that are walking in the rightful applied victory of Jesus in our lives. What a beautiful truth. It's not just I'm forgiven of sin so that I don't go to hell and I get to go to heaven one day. Though that is a beautiful, beautiful truth. 
But we're not just our bags are packed and we're glory bound. No, you are here in the earth right now and you're here for a purpose and reason and you are here so that you may model what it looks like to be a liberated people to a world that is so bound by sin. And so we're not just bunkering down and waiting till Jesus gets back. No, unpack your bags. There's more work to be done. There's more people to be saved. There's more missions to accomplish. And we're here to live that out in this moment in the here and now because of what Christ has done. And then verse 15, and I close with this. Paul says, he disarmed the rulers in authority and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Now this language here, honey, if you would pass me these things, this language here would have been very familiar to many of Paul's hearers in Colossae. Because this language is spoke of an idea of when kings and militaries would go out to conquer enemies. And the myths and the stories were often told about the enemies of how scary they were, of how dangerous they were, how harmful they were. If they ever came upon us, they would do horrible things to, to our wives and to our children. Children would often in ancient cultures be completely frightened about the ideas and thoughts of the enemies that existed out there. And so when kings would go out to battle and they would conquer those enemies, they would love to capture alive, especially the rulers and the kings. And they would bind them up and they would bring them back to their city, especially in Rome, and they would parade them through the streets as a defeated people. And in parading them, they were revealing just how powerless and weak these enemies were. And it actually, in a weird warped way, because those antiquities, right? They did a lot of weird warped things. They would actually be a whole family event, right? Where we're now, what are we gonna do? Let's take our kids to the ice skating ring. Let's, <laughs> thank you for laughing. Let's take our kids to the trampoline park. You know, good stuff. And I, I love those things. They'd be like, hey, we're going to go down to the city square and we're going to mock and laugh at the enemies that have been conquered. And they did that so that their kids could actually stop having nightmares and stop being afraid of these, these enemies. And they would parade them through. And so I need, I need seven volunteers. I need seven you know, good, strong, strapping men here today. Pastor Jerry, your last service. You might as well come up here. All right. Murray, please. And, Five more men. Thank you, Dave. Come on, another man. Glenn, I'm going to pull you up here. Come on. All right. I need some men that aren't afraid to be made fun of. All right, here we go. <laughs> Thank you, Cody. What do we got? One, two, three, four, five. I need two more, two more, two more guys here. All right. Thank you. One more, one more. My brother here, would you mind coming up? Are you okay? All right. Thank you. All right. Let's give it up for our men. So I want you to take one. Pass it down, but don't show it to the congregation. I want you to grab an end of this rope, if I can untangle it. Grab an end. Act like you're bound up, like really good. <laughs> Let's keep stretching this rope down. A little longer, a little longer, a little longer. A little longer. I'll, I'll go on this end. You go right there. All right. So let's say that I went out to battle with my military and we conquered these guys. And these guys, culture used to really fear. My community used to really, like these guys are really threatening, aren't they? Like they're just, 
Especially Pastor Jer, who can't ever not smile, right? It's just so deeply embedded. Even when he tries, it's like, that doesn't scare me, (laughs) right? So, and and we we conquer these guys, and then we tie them up, and we say, you know what? We're going to take them, we're going to lead them as captive through our town so that we can reveal just how powerless they are, how they really don't have authority in our community, and our children don't need to worry about them. And so what Paul does is he picks up on that language, and he says, you were alienated from God, but now through Jesus, you've been reconciled back to him. And if this is true of your life, then you live it out. That means that the things that once held you bound no longer have you bound. And so we'll start down there. Why don't you reveal what you have there? Past mistakes. Paul says, those things that you did in the past that you worry about and you think you're unqualified from, you need to mock that thing because that's been defeated at the cross. The other one here, meaninglessness. You feel meaningless. You feel like you have no worth in your life. You know what? That's a defeated foe. That no longer has rightful place in your lives. Next one here. Shame. Oh, what a big one. What a big one. How often we wrestle with shame. And the difference between guilt and shame is this. Guilt is I've done something wrong. And the Holy Spirit often allows us to experience guilt so that we might repent. Shame tells us we are something wrong. We begin to identify with our mistakes and we carry on shame. What, another one here. Addiction. Oh, once an addict, always an addict. You'll always be this way. Your mom was this way. Your dad was this way. Your granddaddy, your grandma was this way. You'll never be completely free in that area of your life. You'll always be bound of it. Paul says, no, that's been conquered because of Jesus. Next one here. Anxiety. And anxiety manifests in so many ways. Sometimes it's things that are a little bit out of our control. But often it's things that are happening in the world around us. And we just buy into the lie. We'll always be anxious. We'll never get free from this. We'll always be restless. And Paul says, no, that was, that was dealt with at the cross. Powerlessness. You have no authority in your life. You're useless. You're weak. You'll always be crippled by this. You'll never get the liberty in your life. This last one here, isolation. You'll always be alone. You'll always be alone. You'll never fit in. You'll always be on the outside. I don't know who this is for here this morning. You'll always be from the outside looking in. You'll never feel like you're accepted and loved and welcomed in. And Paul says, no, because of what Jesus has done, that has been conquered by Christ. And so this is what I want us to do. I want us to stand. And I can't believe I'm going to do this in church context. Every other context, this is inappropriate. But in the house of God, for this analogy, this is appropriate. I want you to get your finger out. Not your middle finger, your pointing finger. (laughs) I want you to point at these things in a sense of like a mocking way. Because we're mocking the falsehoods and the lies that the enemy wants to keep us bound by. And Paul says, Christ, when he resurrected, he took captive those things and he paraded. I'm not Christ, but I'll just walk with you guys here. <laughs> he paraded those things. And he said, remember when you used to fear these things? Stop fearing them. Look how pathetic these things are. Remember when you used to have nightmares about these things? 
You don't have to have nightmares any longer. These things have been conquered once and for all because of Christ at the cross. Remember when you believed the lies? Remember when you said, this is how I'll always be? I'll always wrestle with this? Stop with that. Don't believe it anymore because Jesus has defeated these things. And they are defeated and the devil's days are numbered and we can apply this victory in our lives in the here and now. Not because of us defeating them, but because of Jesus defeating them and he now fills us with his spirit. Amen? Thank you guys, appreciate it. So this morning, as we close with communion here today, I want you to dwell on the truth of that imagery. As we gather our elements and we participate in this beautiful sacrament of the church that has existed for 2,000 plus years, I want us to dwell on the truth that because of his body that was broken, we can now experience fullness, wholeness, and health. We can be free from those things in our lives. And so, Lord, we thank you for what you have done. We thank you for the cross, but we thank you for the victory in resurrection that you have made a way for us to live a victorious life through your spirit. To, in the midst of all things, in the midst of all things, to face it with a victorious mindset and hold on to the resolute truth that we are in you, therefore your spirit is in us, and therefore those things no longer have us bound, no longer keep us captive. They are defeated because of the body that was broken by Jesus. Let us partake of the bread here this morning. And in the same way, he took the cup, and he said, this cup signifies my blood, which is about to be shed for you so that I may create a new covenant for you to live in. A better covenant, as Hebrew says. A more full covenant. And you can walk and live in a covenant of healing, of redemption, of reconciliation. Partake of the blood here this morning. Amen. If you're here this morning, I want to invite the prayer team to come as we close. And maybe you have some things in your life that you're wrestling with. Some of those things you identified with. And you just need someone to help you pray through some of that. We have a great prayer team up here that would love to spend some time just praying with you. And helping you to properly appropriate the truth of God's word in your life. If you're here this morning, you got to go after I'm done praying. Walk in the fullness of his might. Walk in the newness of who you are. And whenever the devil tries to lie to you and tell you you're not that, you'll never be that, get that mockery finger out. I do this many mornings. I get up, put my feet on the ground, and I say, devil, you are a defeated foe. And your days are numbered. And I'm going to walk in the fullness of who God has created Tim Woodcock to be today. Doesn't mean it's always easy. But when I am rooted in that, when I am grounded in that, I can face whatever comes my way. Amen.
So, Lord, we speak blessing over your people here today. Let them walk in your counsel and truth and your might. Let them go in the power and strength of your goodness and help them to walk with a new identity of who they actually are in you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. If you want